The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Youth Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash youth. Speaking of community, it's actually right where we left off in this um, text. We've been in the book of Ruth. If I could get my, um, there we go, the book of Ruth. Just as we have community, Ruth, um, last sermon, we found her that she was leaving to go find community, find belonging, find acceptance, find people that would support her and love her, though it seemed like the, the chances were pretty slim, knowing her situation. And so, um, so she's leaving. The very uh, end of chapter one is where we left off. We're going through the book of Ruth right now, and we've just finished chapter one. Um, and chapter 1 ends with the very last verse saying, and so they left, and they're heading back to Judah. They were in Moab, right, this godless place, this place that um, does not love, does not serve the God of the Bible. They're leaving there, and they're heading back to this place called Judah, and that's where we are left off. They're looking for community because they don't have it. Everyone they love has just died. They're in desperate despair. They're looking for people that would band together and love them and call community but they're not seeming like they might find it. And so that's where we're left off here. Um, and so I want to start reading here just in verse 1 of chapter 2. If you have your Bible, does anybody need a Bible? It has to be really quick, but um, I've got a couple. Raise your hand. Be so bold. Two right here. Anyone else? You can keep them. Yeah, of course. One more. Can we pass that back, Devin? Awesome. Hey, so let's start reading. Chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1. It says, now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into this field and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I have found favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. For Ruth, so, so Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. And so I just want to stop right there, four verses in, and uh, I, I, I want to point out something that I think is worth pointing out. Well, there you go. Um, so all of chapter one is like, have you guys ever seen those videos that are, I think it's a video, yeah, where it's like a time lapse where it can just show like the sun going up, sun going down, sun going up, sun going down. And it's like, yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. Really fast forwarded um, and the, the, the film is just sitting there. Um, don't have to explain it no longer. You guys know what I'm talking about. That's kind of chapter one. Because chapter 1 starts and it says there was this family and they, uh, they moved to Moab because there was a famine and then they found uh, wives, the husband died, the sons died, they lived there 10 years, then they moved to Judah. That's all in chapter 1. Okay, that's, that's a lot that happened. So that's like a time lapse chapter 1. A lot was covered, but then you hit chapter 2, verse 1 right there, and then it stops and all of chapter 2, get this, all of chapter 2 focuses on one day. One day. All of chapter 1 covers like at least 10 years. We know at least 10 years. Probably 15, 20, 30, maybe 40 years, chapter 1. And then chapter 2 hits and it's boom. Let's focus on this one day in Ruth's life. You're like, wow, that's an important day. 
It's a big day. This had to have been one of the biggest days in her life that, you know, she's sharing her testimony down the road, and she's like, yeah, you know, I moved to Moab. Uh, my husband died, moved back to Judah. And then let me tell you about this day. That's what we're seeing here. She moved, and she happened to go into the field as a man named Boaz. What makes this day so special? Well, I think it has something to do with meeting this man named Boaz where we have to stop the story and see, okay, what is so special about Boaz? Who is this Boaz character? Um, And she'll look back and say, that was such an important day when I met Boaz. I'm trying to think of the first time that I met, the first day that I met Sarah. We were talking about it actually yesterday in the car, not even relating to the sermon, Um, but we were just talking about like, man, how cool would it be? And I'm sure you guys have probably thought of this. If you haven't, you're definitely going to think about it now because it is cool. Um, But how neat would it be to go back and just like get like a, like a, I don't know, a camera's angle of just seeing our first interaction? Because I can't, I can't remember what it was, no clue what it was. We went to youth group together growing up, and so um, it was probably sometime in youth. Uh, but we, we could have sat next to each other, we could have walked past each other, but like how cool would that be to see just like um, a video, just a video of how we interacted with each other the very first day, Right? I think that would have been pretty cool. But it would have been a big day for me because it was the first day I met, interacted with, I don't know, my soon-to-be wife, and we would have had no idea. Um, it's kind of neat to think about. Uh, so anyway, what made that day so special when she met Boaz? Who is this Boaz guy? Well, I, I think, just generally speaking, he was a normal guy. We'll find that he was just a typical guy, average guy, owned, owned some fields. Um, he had some workers that worked for him, so he was wealthy, noble. Um, but more than just being an average guy, just more than just kind of just who he was, I think to Naomi specifically, he really showed her what the love of God looked like, at least a glimpse of what the love of God looks like, because we know that no human, right, we're flawed, we're imperfect, we can't really show how great God is, we can't show the love of God to its fullest potential, but I think Boaz did show Ruth, just a, at least a glimpse, just a glimpse, just a, a little shadow of what God's love looked like. And so because of that, I think Ruth Boaz gives us a glimpse into what God, God's love looks like for us. And so while we read the rest of this passage, okay, we just stopped at verse 4. When we read the rest of it, I want us to think of Boaz's relationship with Ruth as God's relationship with us. The way Boaz um, loves and cares for and, and, and supports Ruth, I want to think about, man, maybe I think that just mirrors. It just shows a little bit about how God loves, how God supports, how God provides for, cares for us. I think Boaz really does show a glimpse, just a glimpse of what God-like love is like. And so um, that's what I want to look at today um, because I really do believe that was the intent of the author. And so um, let's keep reading. What does it look like? It says, Boaz asked his servants who were in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab she asked, well, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles beyond the harvesters? Behind, I'm sorry, not beyond. <laughs> beyond behind the harvesters, meaning so like they're gathering stuff, right, um, all this stuff, and she's just walking behind them, picking up the crumbs, right? She's just following behind, just grabbing what she can, what they missed. 
Um, and so will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and she has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little bit in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, so he goes over, he's like, okay, thanks, servant, I appreciate it. He goes over to Ruth and he says, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which fields they're harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and she, she said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother and your native land and how you came to a people you, you, didn't even, you previously did not know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. May you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and you have encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. And so, first of all, he, he realizes who she is, okay? So he gets it. He, she's, a Mo, she's a Moabite. And, and that, to us, means nothing, okay? We don't even know what in the world Moab is. Where's that at, okay? But um, to him... Israelites couldn't even worship with Moab people because they were so unclean, unholy, okay? And so um, for her to show up to him, she was socially unaccepted. She was um, dirty. She was unclean for this Israelite man, okay? And so she was not, uh, they, didn't, they didn't jive. They didn't work well together, the two cultures, Moab and Israel. And so he knows that about her. And so you would expect he probably would shun her, not want to talk to her. Right? Again, be thinking how this could be God's relationship with us. He doesn't shun her. He doesn't reject her. What's he do? First off, he calls her his daughter. Knowing her past, knowing who she is, knowing what socially this would look like, associating with this kind of person, he says, listen, my daughter. That's how he first addresses her. And then from there, he offers her something that we would think, like, okay, that's like entry-level decency. He says, I want to protect you from guys that would probably want to harm you, take advantage of you. He, he says, I'm going to take care of you. He, he says, uh, don't go and gather grain in another field. Don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. And then he continues and he says, see which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men here not to touch you? And so he has offered her protection from what otherwise would have been inevitable. What would have happened to her? He protected her. He said, I will, I will keep you from that fate. I will protect you from that. And again, we would be like, okay, that's decency. He's helping her from not being raped, honestly. That, I mean, he's, he, he's saying, I'm going to protect you. The other, you know, because this is, again, the time of the judges, time of the judges, which is when people did right in their own eyes. They didn't care what God had to say. They didn't care what the law had to say, what was right and ethical and, and, and all that. They wanted to do what they felt like doing. And so he said, don't go to the other fields. You stay here, and I've told my men not to touch you. So he's offered her protection, and we're like, okay, that's, wow, super great guy. Hopefully everybody would do that. But, but we're thinking from the context of 21st century. Back then, 
It actually was quite rare for somebody to do that. I know that because look at her response. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor with you? She is literally on her hands and knees thanking this man for protecting her from what otherwise would have been her situation. He says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you safe. And so she bows down, and she is so thankful, face down on the ground before him, thanking him. She's probably wondering, who in the world is this man, Boaz? Who is this Boaz? Because he's offering me something that no one has ever offered me. He's, he's protecting me when no one has ever wanted to protect me. Who in the world is this man in front of me? And so um, that's the first thing we think, okay, well, he's already done so much in her eyes. She is literally on her face thanking him for how gracious he is. Doesn't have to do anything else. But he does. He goes beyond that more than just protection. He offers to provide for her abundantly. Um, let me keep reading here. It says, in verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread. So that in itself is so crazy that he would offer somebody that wasn't somebody that he worked for, that he had to offer food to. He offers her, a foreigner, someone that he's not paying, someone he's not taking care of, someone he hardly knows. And he says, you need to come Sit and eat at our table. It says, uh, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So catch that. He didn't just say, you know what, and I don't want to just give you food to, to, to eat. I want to give you abundantly. I want to give you more food than you can eat where you have to take it home. I want you to have more food than you could ever handle. And then also, when you go back to work, you don't have to pick up the scraps, the, the crumbs after those guys. I want you. This is crazy. He's going way above and beyond what he would ever need to. He says, I want you to actually go in front of those workers, and you grab the fullness of, of the crop, what we haven't touched, the best of the best. You go grab that. No one's, no one's touched it. No one's grabbed what they wanted from it. You go grab what you want from it. Actually, you know what? I take it back. Even better. They'll grab it for you, and they'll lay it down, and you just come pick it up. This is crazy, okay? If it was crazy for him to just be a decent guy, say, you, I'll help you out from not getting taken advantage of from some disgusting men, that was like enough, like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. He's like, I'm gonna feed you, send you home with some food, and you're going to get my crops uh, before I get my own crops. He doesn't only protect her, but he provides for her abundantly, more than she would ever imagine. He provides for. And, and this, this in itself is, uh, I, I do want to mention, she technically had the right to go gather, gather the, um, the crumbs afterwards. Leviticus 19, this is the law that Boaz should have been following. Hopefully he was. Most of his peers probably weren't given. It was the time of the judges. Um, but Leviticus 19 technically does. She could have cited it saying, it does say that a foreigner, um, someone that's poor, could go and gather uh, gather. Stuff behind you, you know, the crumbs, the leftover, stuff that you missed. Um, so she could say that. So he could have just let her done that. But he didn't want to just do that. 
He wanted to give her more than what the law said. He more than what he technically was had to. He said, you just go grab whatever you want. In fact, we'll grab it for you. We'll get it ready. We'll lay it there for you. You just come pick it up. He protected her, but he also provided for abundantly. This kind of reminds me of, anyone ever seen, show of hands, a little crowd participation here. Anyone ever seen the movie The Blind Side? Hand shot up over there. Talon, nice. Anyone else? Okay, a couple people. I love that movie. Um, if you haven't, I will pray for you after this service because it is that good. But um, The Blind Side, okay, so just basic, real quick, one minute uh, summary trailer without the video. Uh, Michael Orr, um, this guy that had a really rough life, hard time, he, Mike, woohoo, yeah, someone loves Michael Orr over here. Um, Michael Orr, hard time, lived in the uh, projects. Uh, his mom was in and out of drugs, most of the time in drugs, um, and he obviously just, he had, he had a hard life. And so, um, but then this, this family, I want to make sure, yeah, the Tuies, um, it's spelled super weird, but the Tuies take him under their wing. Um, this family that they, they see him walking in the rain, they come pick him up, and you would think, right, the basic decency would just be like, hey, you okay? You need a ride to wherever you're going? Maybe I'll give you like, we'll stop by, get you a sandwich or somewhere. Basic decency, right? They pick him up. They end up throughout the movie, and this is a true story, right? Michael Oren is now in the NFL playing football, um, but they pick Michael Orr up. They take him home. They clothe him, they feed him, they make sure he gets a tutor, he's now going to school, he gets to go to college, um, ends up getting a full ride to college. I mean, this, this man, they, they abundantly provided for him, more than he would ever imagine. The scene that just kind of gives you chills, you know those scenes? Um, this part where he's standing there, and Miss Tui, I think it's Leanne, um, is, I think that's her name, they're in his bedroom, and she's like, so this is, Michael, this is your bedroom, and... Um, I hope you like it. We got you. This is a new bed. It's, let me know if you don't like it. You know, new, new frame and all that. And, um, and then there's this and there's this. And he's like, wow, I've never had this before. And she's like, you know, climax of the scene, right, where she's like, oh, you mean, you mean a, a bedroom to yourself? And he goes, no, a bed. And like, oh, man. Like, you know, it chills. Um, she just gave him more than you could ever imagine where it's kind of like, you know, he can kind of relate to Ruth, where he just fall down. He's like, are you, are you serious? Thank you so much. You would give me this. I can't even imagine that you would give me more than I would ever expect, more than anyone has ever given before. Boaz didn't only protect her. He provided for her, and he provided an unbelievable amount. And now she's definitely wondering, who in the world is this Boaz guy? Who is Boaz that he would do this? What is this man's story? And I love it. Naomi answers it. Hold on. I want to make sure I'm at here. Yeah, okay. We already read all that. Um, it says, her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless you. Wait, hold on. Actually, I take that back. I don't think I read that last part. Yeah, pull out some stocks from the bundles. I got all. I started doing side notes, and I forgot to keep reading. Um, so he said, pull out some of the stocks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her, right? So he, he, he says, I'm going to provide for you. So Ruth gather, gathers grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. The thing that she was carrying, um, I was reading, and it said that it could carry a human. 
standing. And so like, there, this is an unbelievable amount, okay? And so she's taking that home for free, like just really, wow, that's so great. <laughs> and, uh, it was crazy. She picked up the grain and she went into town where her mother-in-law saw um, where she had gleaned and she brought out what she had left over for her meal and she gave it to Naomi. So now, she's wondering who in the world is this Boaz? Well, Ruth 2.19 says, her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with, and she said, name the, the name of the man that I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his uh, kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. He's one of our family redeemers. So Naomi answers it for Ruth, who is this Boaz that he would do all this nice stuff for me? She says, he is one of our family redeemers. So not just anybody could redeem this family. Not anyone could just give her um, the social acceptance bag now that she's lost the man in her life. This, um, this social acceptance, this seemingly fulfillment purpose, right, of keeping a, a genealogy alive, all these things that they thought back then that would give him all these things. He is one that could redeem and give her this purpose back, that could give her social standing, that could give her all the things that she's lacking. He is their, her redeemer. And not anybody could do it. And so really what I, want, what I want us to not miss in this passage, as we're just wrapping up here, what I don't want us to miss in this passage is the biggest day of your life. The day that when you're telling your story, yeah, you know, I went to this school, and then I went to this college, and then I met that person, and then we hung out, I think it was four or five years, and then you get to the biggest day of your life, it is when you find that God is your protector and your provider. And then from every day onward, when you realize that God is the one that protects, the God that provides, that is when everything changes, when you have to slow down and say, and then this happened. I got to spend some time on that. That is the biggest day of anybody's life that anybody could ever have because that changes everything. The greatest protector would be your protector. The greatest provider would be your provider. And so how does, how does Boaz kind of relate with God and how does Ruth relate with us? Well, I think that God does protect us from what our fate would be without him. Obviously, hell, right? When we would die, that we would deserve hell. We would deserve eternity and judgment for the, the lives that we live, the way that we act, the people that we are. We deserve hell, right? And so, but God would protect us from what we would otherwise deserve. But it's so much more than that. I think that sometimes we think our salvation just starts right when we die. Like, finally, I get to enjoy salvation. Heaven, I go. We can enjoy salvation today. We can we can experience God as our protector today. Hell is not all that he protects us from. It is definitely the greatest, the most amazing. I love, uh, I love what Tolian Chavigian says. Um, he says, the gospel doesn't just save us from hell in the future. There we go. It rescues us now from being enslaved to things like fear, insecurities, anger, self-reliance, bitterness, entitlement, and insignificance. I added to it, I, I wrote a couple down too. Shame. If these, any things that you could imagine, like, yeah, I, I guess I faced that before. Any on that list. I, I included um, shame, self-hatred, 
comparing yourself to others, God would protect us from that. You're like, how in the world is God going to protect me from that? When you start comparing yourself to other people, God would say, no, 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 no. Let me redefine what you are, who you are. That you would be like, man, they're so amazing, and I am not. God would be like, no, let me redefine your understanding, your image, your self-worth, your value. You think you're not that great? Let me redefine that and show you that you are a son or a daughter of God, that I will give you purpose. I will give you value. You think that you're insignificant. Let me, let me show you that you are actually so significant. You are so loved. You are so cherished. You are so valued that I would die for you. He protects us from all these things that we would fool ourselves and, and begin to believe. I mean, you can go down the list. Self-hatred, shame, self-reliance. He says, rely on me because you're going you're gonna to fail yourself. I'm going to protect you from that. Begin to rely on me. Trust in me that I will follow through. Anger, insecurity. Do you think that you don't own up or live up to people's expectations. He protects us from that. He says, trust in me, rely on me. You think that you have some insecurities, you're not crazy about yourself, focus on me and look at how I make you a new person. He protects us from those things and it's not just hell, it's so much more and than that. But he doesn't just protect us just like Boaz protected her from those disgusting men, but he also provides abundantly just like Boaz did for her. And again, it's not just heaven, though it is the most amazing thing that he could ever provide, ever give us graciously, that we don't deserve it. He would give it to us, but you could just keep going. That We can experience what he has given abundantly, provided for us abundantly today. Peace of mind. Freedom from dot, 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 anxiety, all these things. And so what should our response be? Knowing a God that is our protector, that is our provider, our response, I think, should be a lot like Ruth's was, that she would fall on her face, say, I can't believe that you would do this for me. I just want to worship you. I want to thank you for how great you are that you would give to me. I think our first response should be humbly saying, who am I to do that? You know that I'm a foreigner. You know that I am socially unacceptable. I am flawed. I am not a good person. I am whatever. You can fill in all the blanks like she did. I'm a foreigner. I'm so thankful. And we would just humbly say, I don't deserve what you've just given me. But I don't think that should be the end of our response. I think our response should also continue uh, how this chapter ends. It says, Ruth the Moabite said, he also told me, Stay with the young men until they have finished all of the harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with, him, with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's family's servants and gathered grain until the, until the end of barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And so he told her two things. What did he tell her? He said, well, I want you to stick around until the end of the harvest and I want you to stick around with the female servants she said, well, I'm going to stay around until the end of the harvest, and I'm going to stick around with the female servants. Not only would we humbly just bow before God, thank you so much that you would give me this, but now I want to be obedient. I want to obey. I want to live according to how you tell me to live now because you have given me everything, and you've protected me from everything. We're humbly thankful, and we're obedient. That is the gospel that God would give us that and we would respond 
and thanksgiving. We aren't just saved for eternity, as if that's just, right, only. He wouldn't only save us for eternity. We experience and we start our salvation today. It's the amazing day that we meet Jesus, the day that we would stop our story and say, now let me tell you about that day. Because every day onward has been so different, radically changed, the day that I met Jesus. So I pray that would be you. We're going to go into this time now of response, um, and so the lights can be killed. And those who have been around, you'll know what's about to happen. If this is new for you, um, you can just kind of see what everyone else is doing. But if everyone would stand with me, and we can all spread out. I'm not quite done. I want to say two minutes, just real quick remark. But as you just spread out, you can find anywhere in the room that you want to go. And just sit down. We're going to have music playing here in just a minute. We're going to have two leaders as well, Abby and Ricky, and they'll be right up here on both ends. If you have anything you need to pray with somebody about, these two would love to pray with you. But let me just throw something your way as you begin to start thinking about meditating on this scripture that we just heard. It says at the very beginning of this chapter that she just happened upon, she just happened upon Boaz's field. She just made her way, and she might think that that was coincidence or luck or by chance that she would fall into this relationship with Boaz. But I think the book of Ruth is really trying to show us that it was not coincidence, it was not chance, it was not luck that she would fall into this relationship with Boaz, but it was actually the plan of God that is just disguised in a bunch of random, mundane events that just fell in line and we'd be like, oh, it just kind of happened, I guess. I don't know. We just, just man, I'm so lucky that I ran into Boaz through these chain of events. The book of Ruth is trying to show us that they're not just random events that God provided for and he, he planned out. And I think it's the same for us. Our story, when, when we go to meet Jesus and, and, we, and, we, and we get in a relationship with him and all the days onward, it's not just chance, it's not just luck. It is God's plan that he has set out that might be disguised in a bunch of random events, but God has a plan to reveal himself to you, to show himself to you, that you would fall in love with him, that you would fall on your face before him, and that you'd be so thankful that he would be able to give and he'd be able to provide and he'd be able to protect. God has a plan to meet you and to be in relationship with you. It's not coincidence that Ruth met, and was blessed by Boaz. It's not a coincidence that we're here today or living a life for God or this might be the very first time that you've heard about God. It's not coincidence. He wants to speak to you. He wants to journey with you through life. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your protector and your provider. And so we can start the music and just spend this time thinking, praying, And just maybe think about how, how do you trust in him to be your protector? What does he protect you from? And how do you think of him to be your provider? And what are the things that you're so thankful that he would provide you? We can spend some time praying and singing, and the words will be on the screen. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're not already a part of the AT family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.